And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. Joining me on the phone line today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt. Good to be with you, Dan. Well, Kevin, this is an exciting time of year. We've been uh, thinking through uh, the things concerning Easter and the resurrection of the Lord and all the events leading up to that in the life of the church. So to get us started, can you tell us how your church has been preparing for this season? Yeah, Dan, we have a a time of uh, a Lent. We observe Lent in an evangelical way, not as a uh, a works-based kind of preparation for Easter, or not as a special holy season whereby, you know, we sort of ratchet up Christian sanctification. All of those things would be uh, unbecoming for Protestants, such as ourselves, but we use the time to focus on what should always be the case in the Christian life, namely um, Jesus' call to discipleship, the call of the gospel uh, to die to self and to live unto righteousness and to remember that the Christian life entails a life of self-denial, a life of prayer, a life of fasting and almsgiving. And so at Westminster, We use the season as a time to reflect and meditate. Uh, We have a Wednesday evening service throughout the Lenten period on the essential shape of Christian discipleship. And having now come to the end of that period, um, with the Church Universal, we celebrate the great three days, Maundy Thursday, which is tonight, as we're recording, Uh, Maundy ultimately from the Latin mandatum, meaning commandment. Uh, so we speak of commandment Thursday, because on this night, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he gave his disciples a new command. The command was to love one another as he had loved them. Now, this was the night in which Jesus laid aside his outer garment, washed his disciples' feet, you know, gave the command, and instituted, gave to us the Lord's Supper. Um, So that's what we reflect on tonight, and then tomorrow evening, Lord willing, uh, Good Friday, we of course reflect on the the mystery of our Lord's passion and crucifixion, focusing on his seven last words from the cross, and then again, of course, on Easter Sunday, uh, the joy and the fullness of the resurrection. Now, it's of course true that every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday, that's of course true, but there is wisdom in focusing thematically on certain things on certain Sundays, and that's what we do at Westminster. Uh, We have a wonderful, joyful Easter service. Usually we have some additional special music, and um, it's just, at the end of this period of time, a delight to confess that the Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. A lot of churches are... uh Looking forward to Easter tomorrow. Uh, we're, of course, airing this on a Saturday, uh, recording it on Monday, Thursday. And uh, we would encourage uh, listeners to be faithful in attendance to your church and uh, encourage one another uh, in the things of God. Encourage your pastor. And uh, that faithful attendance goes a long way. Um, coming up to this time... Westminster has been observing the season of Lent. Do people still fast nowadays, Kevin? Uh, I don't think we fast as much as we 
probably should. Um, Jesus said that when the bridegroom went away, then uh, his church, his disciples would fast. And so, um, but they do fast. Uh, but it, it's it's less frequent, I think, perhaps than it used to be. Though I don't have the historical data in front of. Me. Yeah, I was wondering about that. It's important, right? Yeah, I fall exceedingly short on this. I must admit. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, this event in history, um, there were many crucifixions. Uh, why is this so special? It's so special because of who is being crucified. And you're right, there, crucifixion was a feature of the Roman world, um, and there were cases where they crucified thousands of people. Uh, it was a spectacle that people were used to seeing, um, and it was reserved, you know, for vile criminals, slaves, insurrectionists, enemies of the state, almost never practiced on a Roman citizen. Uh, and it's a very terrible heinous way to die. Um, I always do this at Westminster, but I recommend for our listeners that if they really want to understand this, they get it's a short book. I think it's 70-ish pages by a German scholar named Martin Hengel. The book is called Crucifixion. And um, until you've read Hengel, you don't really understand perhaps the horror of dying this way. But to your original point, Dan, or your original question, um, it is that the one being crucified here is the Messianic King, the Son of God, the second person of the Holy Trinity. In other words, it's eternal God in human flesh that's being crucified, and that is the sort of hidden luminosity that makes the crucifixion of Jesus um, sort of the central, stable point in a Christian's consciousness. Um, that is what gives his death efficacy, power, effectiveness. It's rooted in who the person dying is. Someone might be tempted to think, oh, since he was God in the flesh, that lifted him above human suffering. Well, of course the relationship between Jesus as Jesus is God, and man, two natures, a human nature and a divine nature, united in one person, not confused, not mixed, not separated, not divided, but united in one person, one personal union. Um, and there is in Jesus a fully human reality, a human mind, a human soul, a human will, human emotions, and in that human nature, as we see in the gospel narratives, the long passion narratives of his suffering, you know, from his arrest, through his trial, through the mocking, the scourging, the thorns, um, and the cross itself, we see that that's a nature which suffers. It's a real human nature, mm -hmm. and it suffers the agony of the torment of of the afflictions that are heaped on him leading up to and culminating in the crucifixion. So um, the church has always held that God dies in his assumed humanity at the cross. And so it's a very unfathomable mystery that is happening there. But the reason we care at all 
is because we have what uh, what is termed high, meaning exalted, Christology, meaning a view of Christ. Um, if Jesus is just one iota less than fully divine in God, we would not care much at all about his crucifixion, you know, except perhaps as some sort of moral example of heroic human suffering. So the higher exalted view of Christ, which the church has held based on Holy Scripture and revealed in things, or not revealed, but shown in things like the Nicene Creed, that view of Christ is why that cross is an atoning, reconciling, mighty, powerful, death-destroying, you know, Satan-routing, sin-bearing sacrifice. Yes, that's helpful. I think in one of your messages leading up to this time, you mentioned how that the Christian church typically doesn't have that many sermons about the time of Christ leading up to and including being on the cross. Why do you think that is? Well, I would have to speculate, Dan, but, um, yeah, the point I was making is this, and it struck me um, in a particularly acute way this season, in this particular year. If you look at the accounts of our Lord's Passion at the end of the Gospels, um, and I did a quick count on the verses, it's something like over 400 verses in in four Gospels. Um, And traditionally often on a Good Friday service, but often in the Palm Sunday service, which is also known as Passion Sunday, that whole Passion narrative would be read. Um, And there's a sense in which we don't do that. I think part of it is uh, we tend to focus on the effects of the cross, uh, especially in our tradition. There's a lot of accent on Paul. And so, you know, we know what, what Jesus's cross wrought, for us, what it means for us, what happened there, but we're less um, focused, I think, on the details of his suffering, which are legion and given to us at great, great length mm-hmm. in the Gospels. Um, it's a sort of scholarly commonplace that the Gospels have been called passion narratives with long introductions. Now, that's probably not a a perfectly fair characterization, but there's a lot of truth in it, that the gospel stories, the four that we have, are weighted. They're trying to get to, and then when they get to the passion, they slow down and give it to you in, you know, in each gospel in in something like 100 or 120 verses. And uh, I think it is important um, for us to read those texts you know, often and lovingly and slowly and reverently to be drawn into the the sense of the uh, the depths of Christ's misery. And it, and it shows his love, his great love made concrete, demonstrated for us. And so um, otherwise you can talk about the cross a lot, but it's sort of buffered off from the actual detailed accounts of the Lord's Passion. Yes. I um, follow social media somewhat, and now and then I find that some well-meaning Christians tend to go down some rabbit trails. And you can see it in all all matters of theology, and, and the time surrounding Easter is no different. 
Um, some would have us to believe it's almost a sin to use the word Easter, for example. What do you make of these rabbit trails? And I'm sure you're aware of many of them. Well, yeah, I think I would say that the words themselves are not as important as the thing that's being referred to. Athanasius, the great 4th century church father, used to say that, that, you know, what's important about the word is what it refers to. It is true that certain words could be unhelpful, um, but I think on a little deeper reflection, these things are rarely as, um, you know, morally serious or as weighty as sometimes people think they are. Um, you know, I use the term Easter, but if you look at our our bulletin for Easter Sunday service this week, it says the resurrection of the Lord, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't, you know, that that's what we technically call it. We're just capitulating to the common usage when we use the term Easter. And sometimes I think it's wise and good, you know, to capitulate to certain usages of words, and other times it may not be helpful, and it may it may send the wrong message. But I think it's a situation-dependent thing. And uh, also what I think at play, Dan, in some of that is a, a sort of fallacy that says if a word or a practice or a day had its origin in some sort of other tradition or some sort of pagan background, it must be perpetually bad and uh, something Christians should shun. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, I, I don't know that the gospel, the, the, the key thing for us is not the origin of a term or even the origin of a service or a ritual. The key thing would be, you know, is it something that we can, in good conscience, under the authority of Scripture, um, use, you know, to worship God now. Yeah. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Kevin Sherritt, Senior Pastor of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Rock Tavern, New York. And uh, Kevin, uh, tomorrow is Lord's Day, and significantly it's Resurrection Day when we celebrate Easter. There's a lot happening um, theologically and going forward, and practical stuff in this world because of the resurrection of Jesus, I'm thinking we should be very delighted and encouraged and charged up and energized going forward because of the resurrection. Well, absolutely, Dan. I mean, the resurrection is the heart and soul of the Christian faith. (laughs) Paul makes it clear that without it, um, our faith is in vain. And we are the most pitiable of men if our hope in Christ is in this life alone. So, um, not only should we be, you know, joyful and excited about it, there's a certain sense in which, well, not a certain sense, that it's just clear to Christians that without it, there is no meaning anywhere. Mm. Um, because the resurrection alone is the sign that God has acted to reverse the curse. Otherwise, you would just have a global cemetery plot, right? Uh, death itself would be the final and pervasive reality for all, all people, and all things, the resurrection is a sort of defiant overturning of death. You know, uh, Paul writes in Second uh, Timothy that you know through the gospel, you know, we, we learn that Jesus Christ has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. Right? So we're talking here about the abolition of death, right? The bearing away of sin, the reconciliation of 
God's people and the created order with, with the creator, redeemer, God. And uh, if you take the resurrection out of the Christian faith, it falls. But it would not be the only thing that fell. All meaning and purpose in the cosmos would fall if Jesus is not raised from the dead. Mm. So there's purpose. Let's uh, bring this down to just uh, just a simple little example. Uh, homeschooling mom this coming week in the home. Uh, all kinds of distractions, all kinds of work, craziness going on. But there's purpose for her, and uniquely so because of the resurrection. Oh, amen. Paul makes that point at the end of the great chapter on the resurrection in the New Testament, which is 1 Corinthians 15. You know, his, his point is, you know, so then, after he talks about the resurrection and defends the resurrection and what kind of resurrection body we're going to have, he gets to the point that this, you know, this is something that means we should, you know, be steadfast and immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, right? Knowing that our labor in the Lord is not in vain, right? Because uh, God has given us the victory because Christ's resurrection means that at the end of the age, at the general resurrection of the dead, we will say, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh grave, where is your victory? That means now between Christ's resurrection and his coming again in glory, now we can work diligently and abound in good works, knowing even if it seems like it's not the case, we know that our labor in the Lord is, is not in vain because the risen Christ is able to make it bear fruit. Yeah. Let me take another example. Um, this one from experience, although I don't have anybody really particular in mind right now, but some folks are very uh, jaded and they're unbelievers. They, they don't really hold to Christianity. Uh, they do see, as you were mentioning before, death is final, and that's it. And they have no fear. I don't care. Someday I'm just going to die. Big whoop, they might right. think, you know. And we've all met people uh-huh. like that. Um, how would you talk with that person? How would you challenge them to consider the claims of Christ, seeing that there's almost like no interest there? Um, well, I, if if I could get them to listen, I think if you, if I had to pick one spot, I would go to the first eight verses or so of first Corinthians 15. And I would talk about, um, you know, what the gospel is that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. And then I would talk about the witnesses that Paul adduces to the resurrection. In other words, try to show that the resurrection is a, is a well-attested uh, fact, historical fact, because the witnesses are, are many and reliable. You know, in, there in 1 Corinthians 15, he talks about, he, you know, he appeared you know, to Peter and, and to James and to the apostles, and, and at one time he appeared to 500 people. And then Paul goes through a list there that, you know, conservatively is a total of, you know, close to 600 people as eyewitnesses of the risen Lord in the first century. And what's, there's many important things about the list, but one of them is when he talks about the Lord appearing to 500, actually he says over 500 people at one time. Mm-hmm. He then adds this little remark where he says, 
uh, m- most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, or maybe the opposite. But, the, you know, that's what he says. And so Paul knows who the people are. He knows basically what percentage of these 500 people have died and what percentage are still alive. The church knew these things, and people could go talk to them. So I would try and convince a skeptic. You know, first thing I would do is preach the gospel to them, share the gospel. And the second thing I would say is, you know, look at these accounts in the New Testament. They are not the accounts of gullible, you know, ready-to-believe-anything kind of um, benighted ancient people who didn't have the sophisticated world weariness of moderns. That is not the case at all. The disciples are slow to believe. Thomas is very slow to believe. Peter leaves the tomb. John seems to have believed, but Peter's kind of wondering what's going on, right? So, and um, there's just, there's doubt and resistance until Jesus appears and appears and appears again to the various disciples. And I think it's important for people to see that. Um, you know, and there's a lot of work out there, Dan, showing, you know, the, the basic uh, reliability and the integrity of the Christian view that the Son of God was raised from the dead. Yes. I'm a little bit closer to uh, health care, maybe, than I used to be. <laughs> One reason I'm getting older. Um, but uh, our daughter's a nurse and my wife does some elder care, and I'm taking care of my dad. And I guess this is as much a blessing type of a thing as anything else. Um, when a Christian takes care of someone in need, uh, it almost makes me weep when I consider the kind of care that Christians are able to give where the love of the Lord Jesus Christ flows through them. And it's all because of this resurrection. The other day I... I saw an account on on the computer, and it showed a nurse taking care of someone who was in hospice care. And she would, obviously, to me anyway, she was a Christian nurse, and she would go in there and she would sing to this patient. Uh, They had put him in hospice care and limited his days. He didn't have long to live. And almost miraculously, this man really responded to this nurse and Actually, it's one of those mm-hmm. rare cases. He he actually got out of hospice care, <laughs> and uh, I shared. Yeah, yeah, you know, I shared it with our daughter, and she uh, related an instance uh, in her experience very recently where you know the the patient did die, and yet she was there at the very last moment, listening to his heart, and heard that last beat of the heart, and she's a Christian. Right. And there, there's something sacred about life, and there's something touching to me, healthcare professionals that know the Lord and are able to deal with these life and death issues in light of the gospel, in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And um, so anyway, that I just wanted to share that. I thought it was very neat. And No, absolutely, Dan. It's a wonderful calling, the wonderful work of mercy, and you're right, it all, if Jesus had not been raised from the dead, Mm. um, these things would not be in the world this way. Mm. Well, we want to encourage you, dear Christian friend, today to um, be faithful in your attendance to church this coming Lord's Day, and uh, if you're visiting, you haven't found a church, uh, Kevin, tell us where... Westminster is and what the worship hour is. 
Uh, we're at 614 Station Road in Rock Tavern, New York, Dan. And Sunday worship is at 10 a.m. Um, we, we normally have an evening service at 6, but we do not have that service um, on Easter Sunday. Right. All are welcome. Even myself. It's an amazing Even thing. Even you're welcome. <laughs> Kevin, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Dan. Thanks. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.